0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, not that much going on this week, right?
1: Oh, you had him play the Michigan fight song? (laughs) Yes, once again, no, I didn't have anybody play it. I just played it on my phone and put it, held it up to my microphone. What are you kidding me? It was I'm not that technologically advanced.
0: Yeah, and you made your sound all terrible. Why well, don't you get closer to the mic?
1: How's that? Is that better? Oh, sure. It's terrible. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Huh?
0: Your phone away. You sound terrible right now. Our forecast. You know there you go. That's better. You yeah,
1: know? okay. I'm wonderful.
0: step step back because
1: you know i'm i'm a little annoyed at the the whole nine o'clock starts for east coast games why because what some of us need to go to bed
0: i understand that i i do understand that uh i didn't appreciate waking up to your little michigan uh text message this morning after beating rutgers again last night and the reminder that in 14 attempts rutgers still has not beaten michigan in basketball um, yeah, well,
1: may, maybe if Ron Harper was in a little better shape, uh, you might have had a different outcome. But I, I, don't, I don't understand, because he's got so much talent. Rutgers, Rutgers is a really good team. And if they don't make the, the tournament this year, something's something's up. I think they'll make the tournament. I—I I just, They're just not on Michigan's level yet. But let's be
0: honest, not many teams are on Michigan's level. And Jawan Howard is a better coach than many could have anticipated and a better recruiter than a coach.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, and he will constantly remind people as he did the other day, how, how much he has taken it to heart, all the criticism that he was not going to be able to come to college and do either. And so he he now has the number one recruiting uh, group for next year. And he has the number three team that's 14 and one. And after, having a three week layoff because of COVID when, when uh, Ann Arbor shut everything down, he came back and, and won it against another top 20 team and then beat a really good team in Rutgers. You, you, you know what people in Philadelphia probably don't care about? Michigan basketball, Michigan and Rutgers and basketball. They're probably, no, you know, no, 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 no. I belong to the alumni association in Philadelphia. There are plenty of people here that care. Now Rutgers, that might be a whole different story. Easy there. There, we're working on building up to having like real teams.
0: Okay, it's not, again they were zero and eleven my freshman year of college. Jeff, this is yeah, but but I've remember,
1: just remember, it was just a sh- few short months ago before the pandemic, and you were talking about Rutgers making the tournament for they the first time in a
0: I was cheated.
1: Ah, the good old days. I cheated.
0: All right, uh, Jeff, I need your advice. Uh, what do I do with my Wentz wagon T-shirt? Do I send it to somebody in Indianapolis now? What do I do? <laughs>
1: uh, I think that you turn it inside out.
0: Carson Wentz. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, that's about what you do with it. Yesterday, the news broke. Carson Wentz was traded, not in a Matt Stafford type deal, to Indianapolis. Inexper- what? Wait, how he didn't pull off a great trade? Um, I think he probably got all that he could get given the leverage they did not have because of the corner everybody put themselves into.
1: Uh, but, who put no. him? In, who put him in that corner? I think they all put themselves in that corner. They all bear who's, responsibility. Who, who's 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 responsible for the team? Who does the buck stop with? Well, Jeffrey. Uh, see, I, I don't look. Jeffrey doesn't the run the team. He, he's the owner. He's the owner of the team. Who runs the team? Howie. Okay, he's still here. And, and who's, who's now officially run it into the ground? Howie. Right. Why yeah, is he still they here? tell you that he's won a Super Bowl also,
0: but I look, I, you know I've asked for weeks. How wait, 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 wait. Time happened. out.
1: Who said, who said who won a Super Bowl?
0: The Eagles organization would tell you that they won a Super Bowl recently. That would be their defense back. I would say that if you've looked at what happened since, it's nothing to be proud of. Taking options that have been successful that have not been successful while successful options have gone right after that. And you painted yourself into a corner here. You, the Eagles decided to give Carson Wentz the extension. Okay. That was their choice. They decided he was going to be their quarterback. Right. And they decided he wasn't going to be their quarterback. And you know, they, (laughs) they got a 2021 third round pick and a conditional 2022 second round pick. So if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps next season, or plays 70% of the snaps and the team makes the playoffs, that becomes a first-round pick. So potentially a first and a third, not an easy first and third. The Eagles will take the biggest dead cap hit
1: ever in the NFL at $33.8 million. So so what do you want to start first with? Do you want to start with... Wentz, or do you want to start with the the dead cap space that that they started a disadvantage with?
0: We'll start with Wentz. He gets the chance to reunite with Frank Reich, and the Uh Colts basically have no risk. If they play well, their one pick turns into a first. They've got him for four years at $20 million a year, and they can cut him without a cap hit if it doesn't work out. The Eagles had all the risk. The Eagles now pay the dead cap space this year of $33.8 million. And Frank Reich gets to see if he can rebuild Carson Wentz back to what he was. Mind you, before this season, over the last couple of years, he had thrown 80 touchdowns to 20 interceptions. This past season was not anything close to that type of quarterback, but it hasn't been a disaster over the longer period than just last year.
1: I'll tell you who it hasn't been a disaster for now. It's Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz could not have asked for a better outcome than what he has gotten. Nope. He he now goes to his old quarterback's coach. He goes to a team that is a playoff-ready team. Okay, so it's all built in there. He's got an offensive line now. He's got skill position players. He has a defense, and he has a coach.
0: You mean to tell me the Eagles aren't a playoff-ready team right now?
1: No. So So he got out of town, and he got his signing bonus. Everything is great for him. The Eagles, yeah. in return, got a second and potentially a first, but likely a second. And if they get the first, it means the Colts are so good that it's going to be a very low first-round pick. So for a guy for a guy that they moved up to get in the first round,
0: traded assets to get, then invested assets to and extend, then,
1: and then gave over a hundred million dollars to. Him. And and I will. Argue that this has been a train wreck in the making since the Super Bowl. So I, I, my argument is, but for what happened in the Super Bowl, we wouldn't be where we are. And what I mean by that is, is that Carson Wentz obviously is a little bit sensitive, and he got hurt through no fault of his own in the middle of that Super Bowl season. Nick Foles came in, had already won over the locker room from what we had heard, and then won a Super Bowl. And even though they then traded Nick Foles, and which means Carson Wentz should have said, I'm the quarterback of the future, he was never the locker room presence. And that continued until he was benched. And you immediately, I remember you sending me texts the first game that Jalen Hurts came in. Look what's going on, on on the sidelines. Jalen Hurts is over there talking to his teammates and stuff. Things Carson Wentz wasn't doing. So now Carson Wentz gets out of town. And the question is, Is he going to be able to become the Carson Wentz that everybody thinks he can be? Or is he still going to be the oversensitive Carson Wentz who gets in his own head?
0: So I get that most people are reacting now to the way that it ended. But he was a pretty good quarterback for this team for a while. And I happen to think that they wouldn't have gone on the run they did to the Super Bowl if Wentz hadn't played as well as he did to get them there before he got injured.
1: Yeah, but I don't think. But I still don't believe they would have won the Super Bowl had he not gotten
0: injured. I'm aware of that. I just think that you know it's it's easy to be short sighted and say it ended. It ended badly. Let's focus on how badly it ended. There was the potential for something much better. It did not happen. So my question to you now is: With Carson Wentz gone, is the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles on the roster right now? Starting quarterback for next
1: season? Definitively yes. I don't think so.
0: I, I, I think, didn't I didn't exactly. say all the quarterbacks are here, but I think it could end up be Jill, being Jalen Hurts. But I don't who, think they're giving him the job. Who Who else could it be? I think they're going to try to draft somebody, not necessarily with the number six pick. But I think they will draft somebody and sign a veteran and try and have a competition.
1: OK, well, first of all, whoever they draft is not going to win the starting job. Because I didn't. The, because because if, if you if let's well, let's go. There's two parts to this. The first part is that let's say they draft somebody, even if it's in the first round. Why did they go through this whole nonsense to trade Carson Wentz virtually for nothing and then to keep Jalen Hurts not to even give him a chance against against a rookie quarterback who you could you could sit for at least half a season? OK, so I don't think that's happening unless somehow you're going to trade I, up. to get
0: Trevor Lawrence. I think they're going to look for a veteran. And and try and put them in a competition. That's not to no say way. Jalen Hurts isn't the starting quarterback, but I don't think they're going to anoint Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback. I think they're going to make him earn
1: it. There, there's there's no veteran quarterback out there that would be able. to – You can go through every roster and find find me a backup quarterback who's going to come here and and challenge Jalen Hurts. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Not a chance. Why not? Because done it everywhere else. He's gone. bringing Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Eagles does absolutely nothing for a team that's rebuilding. There's no point in that. This is a team that
0: does things that make no sense all the time. They just ate $34 million because of their own decision-making.
1: All right. then, Then let me ask you the question. Why would Ryan Fitzpatrick come here? I don't know what his other options are right now, if, if here, here's what I'm doing. If I'm Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm sitting there and I'm going to not sign with anybody and I'm going to play it out until a playoff ready team loses its quarterback. And then I'll sign.
0: I, I'm just saying, I, I think in your mind that you think it's Jalen hurts job. I think the Eagles want yeah. it to be Jalen hurts job, but I think they're going to go into this and try and find him some competition and see if he can win it.
1: There's I mean, enough. he's
0: doing the right things. He's saying he's bringing the receivers out to work out. He seems like he's trying to be a leader, this team needs that right now. But so I'll ask you my follow-up question to that. The Eagles now have eight draft picks currently. They could end up with a ninth, potentially compensatory pick for Jordan Howard getting signed last year. Depends maybe more if Zach Ertz gets traded or somebody else. This is going to look like a markedly different team next year. You, you and I had talked before the show about, will Fletcher Cox be here with a $21 million cap hit? That's dead space if he's not here to go with the thirty-three million
1: dollar cap hit for Carson. So, 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 for those not good at math, of which I'm now one of them, um, let's say you start off with a salary cap of one hundred and eighty million dollars. Okay, that means that if they somehow don't have Fletcher Cox, that they're actually starting with about one hundred and twenty-eight million dollars to the rest of the leagues, hundred and eighty.
0: So, if you're starting with one hundred twenty-eight million dollars. And um, and you, no big quarterback. And you now don't have a big named quarterback, and you mm-hmm. don't have Fletcher Cox, and you have all these holes all, all over the team. What's your biggest priority right now? You're not going to be able to go do a lot in free agency and get top free agents. You're going to have to do stuff in the draft. Is it
1: offensive you, line?
0: Okay, so you've it's offensive line. Because that's yeah. my question is, does Jason Kelsey
1: retire? You, whether he retires or not, they still need offensive line help. They do. God help us if we see Jason Peters back again. So <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, and look, look Jason look, Peters look, was a great talent at one time, but yeah, and, no well,
0: to well, see him play plays and come out of the game.
1: Do you know that Jason Peters, of all active offensive linemen, has the most All-Pro selections? So yeah, he was a he was a great player. We've seen what he is the last couple of years, and last year he 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 fooled the the Eagles into giving him more money. <laughs> It, they signed him, and then they gave him more money to switch positions. What's the saying? You're worth what people will pay you? Is yeah, that, but 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 they decided on what they were going to pay him, and he said, I want more. And they said, okay, we'll give you some more money. <laughs> it's not more. like we have a cap problem.
0: So you're going – you think with the six pick, they go offensive line.
1: If if I was running the team, yes, I think you need to build your offensive line. Even if Kelsey comes back, he's still an older player. He's not he's not a long term solution. Who on that offensive line, other than Lane Johnson, if he stays healthy and doesn't get in trouble again, who on that offensive line is is really good?
0: Well, their hope is that Dillard is, but they didn't see enough out of him.
1: Okay, no. so, so so I'll give you that.
0: But he's had injuries, but he seemed healthy even at the end of the last season coming back. I mean, he's a workout warrior to come back. It's not like they have no pieces there, but they have significant holes. And That's they had three problems last year.
1: That's three. Yeah, well, if you need five.
0: you've got four and then you draft a fifth.
1: Yeah, but Kel- Kelsey's, only, Kelsey's only for one more year, possibly.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to be here for the long
1: term. So you need offensive line help. And without a good offensive line, it doesn't matter who you put the back there as a quarterback. They are going to be running for their life. This isn't going to be a great season next year, Jeff. <laughs> no, you may want to defer on your season. 10. I'm going to
0: have to avoid Keith Pompey's Facebook wall as he puts
1: up Eagles memes regularly. Yeah. There'll be lots of Michael Jordan crying memes with Eagle on Eagle's bodies. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on what's going
0: on with the Eagles right now? Uh, do you, do you believe the the reaction was proportional that people had, or was it an overreaction to what the Eagles got or did not get for the deal?
1: I, th- I think I think people are reacting the right way in that yes, you got a Super Bowl three years ago, but that doesn't explain what's happened since. If if the Eagles had said back then, "We're selling out in order to win a Super Bowl." Then, then they could come back now and say, look, we told you this was going to happen. We sold out. We got you your Super Bowl. But that's not what they did. They didn't, they didn't sell out to get their Super Bowl. They created this mess after the Super Bowl. The coaching problem was created after the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz and the way that they handled him, including how close he got to Jeffrey Lurie and how close he was not with his teammates, happened after the Super Bowl. The cap situation happened after the Super Bowl. These are all self-created situations. And the guy who created all of this still here? Is still there while everybody else is gone.
0: Yeah, it's it's not really faith inspiring. <laughs> and,
1: and, and, and the coach that came in gave a it gave the most lackluster opening press conference that you will ever see from a football coach.
0: I think people are overreacting to that. But okay. It was okay. not it was not a good look. But I'm worried leadership, about what leadership matters. Yeah, I'm worried about whether he can coach, not whether he was nervous at his first press conference. But it was definitely not a best foot forward. Uh, you would have thought he would have been more prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to basketball talk, I, I did want to ask you. because Wait we'll,
1: a second. Before we, you know, I, I put up the nice little screen behind me. Somehow we have now made it 16 minutes and we have not said pitchers and catchers reported this week.
0: They did report. I had a, one more football question. Okay, um, go ahead. Your response to Urban Meyer cutting bait with his um, bad hire
1: last week? Well, well, <laughs> technically, he didn't cut him. The guy handed in his resignation. Yes. So I don't think Urban Meyer gets credit for supposedly cutting the guy that he brought in after his intensive evaluation of him. He evaluated himself, Jeff. That's right. And some... And, and somehow, so Urban Meyer, who needed to do this to kind of give the big middle finger to the rest of us, did it, and then cowardly backed down and didn't stand behind his man. And didn't what, own it. Huh? And didn't own it. Of course he didn't. Did he own it when he left Florida? No. Did he own it when he left Ohio State? And by the way, was suspended when he left Ohio State? No. Okay. Urban Meyer isn't going to own anything. Is there a coach you dislike
0: more in sports than him right now? I mean, I know Dabo gets you going and, and Mullen down at Florida get you going, but um, Urban seems like your guy right now. He seems like the guy that, uh, and I don't know if, if part of that is the Michigan-Ohio State, you know,
1: but... I wish, I wish it was that, but it's not, it, it's, you know, look, we, we spend a lot of time talking to coaches. We, we spent, we spent a month and a half talking to all the coaches in the city and, and NCAA coaches and how great they are and what they do for their community. And, and about, we talk
0: to them about character right. and we talk to them about community. And,
1: and those are not the things we're
0: talking about with urban.
1: Right. We've talked to Bob Stoops. We've talked to Wade Phillips. We've talked to other college football coaches and pro football coaches too. And none of them seem to have the character issues. That Urban Meyer consistently has, and these are self-inflicted wounds. That's the thing. The thing. What happened at Ohio State was a self-inflicted wound. If you have if you have players, you have students, you have a hundred of them. Maybe you can't manage them all. You can't know everything that's going on. That what happened at Ohio State with that. And everybody, you can go look it up yourself if you don't know what it is. What he did was a self-inflicted wound because he chose not to deal with it. And this situation in Jacksonville was a self-inflicted wound because everybody in the country knew about this guy, including Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer decided, I'm going to bring – this is the best I can do.
0: This guy being Chris Doyle, the former coach from Ohio, uh, from Iowa who had allegations of uh, racist incidents and other challenges yes. against him, uh, pronouns. We need to make sure people know who we're talking about here. It, it, but-
1: it's – it's stunning to me that he that he makes these kinds of decisions and there are you know you and i there was an article that you and i shared about a week ago that there's a lot of these articles out there that talk about urban Meyer, the coach there is no doubting urban meyer the coach is a great coach to me there's also no doubt that urban meyer the the person lacks some sort of character gene and not quite and,
0: there as a coach that he uh,
1: is what that he, you don't think he's a great coach Oh he's, no! I I said not
0: the the character issues and the decision making is not doesn't quite seem to be on the level that his ability to coach and prepare players for a game on the field. Is. That's being generous. You're welcome. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, he 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 has issues that again these are self inflicted, which makes it worse in my mind. While
0: we wait to connect with Sarah Todd, talk a little MBA, Jeff. Uh, your background is Citizens Bank Park. Uh, it is uh, not feeling like spring training outside as I shoveled more snow today, but pitchers and catchers did report you are now blaming me for JT Realmuto's broken thumb. Um, clearly, that's my fault. Of um, course I'm, it is. Uh, that was not the news story I wanted to share with you. Be honest with me, though. How excited yeah. were you when pitchers and
1: catchers reported the other day? Could it's, you- it's, it, 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 should, it should be a national holiday. I know you think that I, I, I it, it's just because it is literally the day for a lot of us that hope springs eternal, that we get to think about, first of all, if you live in the North, it means you get to think about spring and you don't have to think about the next six weeks that the groundhog finally predicted. Right. And there's just, there's so much more to it. We'll, we'll talk a little baseball later though. Uh, even though it got a smile on my face uh, let, let's introduce our, our next uh, guest, which is Sarah Todd, Sarah Todd, formerly covered the Sixers. And, has decided and I don't know if it's a coincidence Sarah but all of a sudden you're out in Utah and you're now covering the best team out there. How you doing?
2: You know I'm doing pretty good. I keep telling people you know I covered the Warriors and they won a championship in 2015 and then I went to Philly and I was covering the Sixers and they went to that playoff round with the uh, Toronto Raptors and now I'm covering the Jazz and they're the winningest team in the NBA right now, so maybe maybe I'm just good luck.
1: I think so. now if people if you don't follow Sarah on Twitter, you have to follow her on her Twitter account. it is It is much more entertaining than just basketball and it's got lots of great information. But <laughs> Sa- Sarah, earlier you tweeted something and and I now have to ask about it because it does relate to the Sixers. You retweeted mm-hmm. a, a story about Doc Rivers. And a reporter deciding that he was going to do his interview from his bed, laying down, yeah yeah is that the new yeah. reporting standard? Is there a protocol here <laughs> you know
2: okay, here's what I'll say because there are some reporters, I mean, we're doing everything via Zoom these days, and so um who among us hasn't done a zoom in our pajamas is you know but there are some that you know will do it laying on their bed or laying on the couch or at the gym or in their car and so people are doing these zoom calls from everywhere whether it's pregame postgame practice day interviews with coaches players um and uh i, I thought it was funny cuz we have a we have a reporter here in utah that <laughs> often often does that. Uh, not <laughs> me. I am I am obviously incredibly professional. I would never. But
0: <laughs> you would never do anything like that. I mean, you yep. talk about the talent on the team that you're you're covering. Jeff and I were having a conversation off air, um just sort of looking at the, you know, we talk a lot about load management in this league and the Sixers have had a lot of players miss a bunch of games. The Jazz on the other hand, they roll out that same lineup for the majority of their games. Can you talk about uh, the players you're getting to cover out there and, and how they're handling the managing of those players throughout this difficult season?
2: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because they're they're one of the few teams, first of all, that came into the season with a ton of continuity on the roster. I mean, really the only change that was made was Derek Sabres being brought back from the Pelicans, but he'd already previously been in Utah for eight years. And so it wasn't like it was a new place <clears throat> excuse me, or a new situation for him. Um, and outside of that, I mean, everything has stayed the same. And so then at that point, I I think that there there's a little bit of thought that maybe, you know, things this season are were going to be weird for every team. There's, you know, you've got the pandemic, you've got the really tight schedule and the quick turnaround that we had from last season. And so there's a strong possibility that people were going to be in and out of the lineup. And that's not even considering injuries that are going to happen through the course of the season anyways. And so I think that the coaching staff of the Jazz, they thought, as long as our guys are available, let's use them, because that might not be the case. And so they've been using the same eight, nine guys every day.
1: Okay, well, you got to cover the Sixers through a period that we refer to as the process. Somehow the Utah, the Utah Jazz have been able to put together a roster that isn't just beating teams, but is beating them badly. What is the secret sauce that they have that they were able to do this without going through the, the dreaded process?
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think probably if I had the if I had the exact answer to that, that, that if it was that easy to come up with the answer, then all the teams would be doing it, right? Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, though. Um, like I said, with the continuity of the roster from last season to this season, the Jazz have also had extreme continuity within the organization uh for as long as we can all remember i mean they've had front office coaching ownership continuity i mean they just had an ownership switch uh this year but it was an incredibly like thoughtful and thought out process and you know if you look at the sixers you did have um you know, Brett Brown was there, and he was given a lot of time to work with that team, but that roster changed so much during the time that he was there, and the front office issues and problems and turnover that they had with the Sixers while he was there was, you know, massive. It was was like every day something was changing, and so I think that a lot of it has to do with, like, the program that the Jazz have been running with over here hasn't changed, and so they've been given sort of the freedom to, like, really see this thing out.
0: We talk a lot on the show about things that happen off the court and the way that athletes utilize their platforms. One of my issues I care a lot about is how athletes can sort of normalize mental health challenges. So I really enjoyed your your most recent piece about Keon Dueling and his journey now from NBA player to mental health advocate to Utah jazz assistant. Uh, can you talk about that some, because that's fascinating to me, the the mental side of sports and how athletes are starting to buy in more. And here you have an athlete who now is a coach that is working specifically with that as well.
2: Yeah. For those that don't know, Keon Dueling, um, he played in Missouri was, you know, a lottery pick in 2000 played about 12 years in the league. And, um, he had completely repressed and blocked out, um, sex abuse from his childhood. And in the off season, just before training camp, he had like a a complete mental break because there was something that triggered those memories to come flooding back. And I mean, he started going through really extreme PTSD symptoms. He was having like paranoid delusions. He was, you know, sleep deprived. He was anxious and depressed. And he completely spiraled and just he quit playing basketball he ended up in a psych ward and he'd never even told anybody about what had happened to him when he was young and so then when he finally did he you know started seeing a therapist and working with different types of mental health professionals and realized like i don't have to be alone with this and i don't have to feel this way and it was a huge turning point in his life for him because then he he goes on to become like a certified life coach and a mental health advocate. And then eventually the director of the, um, national basketball players association's mental health program. And so he's a huge part about why every NBA team is now required to have a full-time mental health professional on staff at all times. But Keon is a huge part of that. And, um, You know, as all this was happening, what he always wanted to be was a coach, but all of this stuff happened to him throughout the course of his life. And so it pushed him sort of into the mental health world. And then the coaching opportunity came. And and now I think it's just a really beautiful story because you have a guy that is really committed and invested in helping people, you know, live a healthy life. And I mean, emotionally and mentally healthy. And we need a lot more people like that who can be advocates for this and can try to push away the stigmas around mental health issues. And I mean, he's a great person for that and he's well-respected throughout the league. And so it's, it's really good for the NBA that he's in the coaching world now and that he brings that experience and that wisdom.
1: You, you know, with the, with everything that's happened with the pandemic and the bubble, and we've had players talk about the, their issues with regard to with being in the bubble and mental health issues. What what have you noticed this season about, especially with the Utah Jazz, about how they're able to deal with all of these outside issues that weren't something that anybody anticipated? Are they finding different ways to deal with it than they dealt with it last season?
2: I think that I know and it it plays back into the Keon Dueling thing. I mean, they hired Keon Dueling, And one of the reasons that, you know, people love him is because he's such a good communicator. And that's been a really big thing with the Jazz is, having communication be sort of a cornerstone of the coaching philosophy here. And, uh, Quinn Snyder talks about the players talk about it all of the time, um, that everyone is really open. Um, and that goes back years. Uh, Joe Ingalls, uh, who plays for the jazz, uh, he has a son that is autistic. And, um, when that diagnosis came, it, really really impacted him and his family and you know it's that's a scary thing to happen when you don't really know anything about it you don't know what to do and um quinn snyder uh and the front office of the utah jazz were really supportive of him and they really truly cared about what happened and they've made huge pushes to incorporate uh awareness and training for um people to understand autism and to Uh, you know, raise money for research programs and stuff. And so there's a ton of communication and dialogue that happens. And that openness, I think, makes everyone feel comfortable about coming to the coaches or coming to their teammates or anyone with their problems. I think that's pretty unique in the NBA. Um, But I think that we are seeing sort of a shift where it's, it's someday may not be as unique, which is what we would hope for.
0: I did want to ask you before we let you go, um, I listened to the 30 for 30 about when everything shut down last year. Frankly, I didn't realize how in the middle of it all you were. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like, the craziness of that time? If people haven't listened, it's, I mean, Sarah, your comments are very interesting on there and it's a fascinating piece. I'm, I'm just wondering if you could talk about what those challenges were like then and if you're doing okay now with it all.
2: Yeah, it was a, that was a really weird night. I was, I was in Oklahoma City the night that Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. And um, I mean, it it was just a really surreal thing to happen, just watching the game being stalled and postponed and not knowing why, but, you know, having sort of that sinking feeling because, you know, that week, I think was when, the coronavirus started to sort of come into our minds a little bit more. It's hard to remember back when a time when, you know, we weren't wearing masks when there were still 20,000 people in the arena, but that's what it was like that week. And the only thing that we really knew about COVID is that we were hearing that people were dying. That's what was on the news. It's just, people are dying. And so it, it felt like a death sentence. And, and obviously that's not to say that it hasn't been tragic, but you know, you, you didn't hear about the people that were recovering or about how it was transmitted. And so, yeah. You know, if eventually me and the two other reporters that travel with the team regularly are, you know, down in the bowels of the arena. We're waiting, you know, we're being told, you know, stay in the arena, don't leave. We don't know what's going on yet. And we're scared because we're thinking, are we going to get tested? We know that the team's been quarantined in the locker room. And then, You know, eventually we've got CDC and health department workers that are standing in front of us, you know, after we've been tested and telling us, you know, if if you've been within five feet and having prolonged conversations with people, you know, you're at risk. And so that's just describing a reporter's job. And so we're like, well, we're definitely at risk then. And that was on a Wednesday night. We were supposed to be back in Utah on Thursday. And that Friday morning, my mother, who had heart heart surgery last year, was supposed to be flying into Utah to come visit me. And so, you know, we're, we're all scared. We're sitting in the arena. We're there for seven hours. And uh, I'm sobbing on the phone, calling my mother, telling her, you have to cancel the trip. Because going through my head is like, I don't want to kill my mom. And so that's sort of like the, the depths of where it got to was I was thinking like, I don't want to be the cause of my mother dying. And then, you know, and looking back on it, like we were very lucky and very fortunate. And I tested negative and I've been incredibly cautious. And the, it's just, it's really strange now to think that that was almost a year ago and what we've all been through since then and how much more we know and how much we've learned and, uh, how much more there is to do? It's it's just been a wild year, and it was a wild night for it to kind of start.
0: Well, you were on the leading edge of everything shutting down, and uh, you know we we appreciate the coverage you're doing now, and always uh, appreciate the time you give us, and look forward to having you back on again soon. And take care of yourself, okay?
2: No problem. Anytime, guys.
0: Jeff, can you imagine what that night was like for them? I don't know if you if you haven't listened to the thirty for thirty, it is jaw-dropping <laughs> what that night was like and how they decide how they found out that Gobert was positive the meetings they had to have between the owners and the commissioner and then the coaches they moved the halftime act up to play before the game so that people didn't get worried as soon as the halftime act finishing they said oh, that's it go home
1: well look uh, as as much as i'm not a huge mark cuban fan but for me that whole moment in time was best sum- summarized when they showed Mark Cuban sitting in the stands and making the face when he looked down at his phone. Yeah. It was, and and I, I think that summarized basically what everybody was thinking at the moment. And then, then it became something more serious. And I know that that's
0: not the most, you know, obviously COVID is still a current story. I know that going back to March, isn't the most current version, but She was right in the middle of it. Like if you listen to the 30 for 30, they had been questioning the health of Rudy Gobert when he wasn't at shoot around in the morning long before it was out there that it was positive. So the reporters were digging on a story that ended up blowing up and, and literally stopping everything. You have to remember that NBA game was the ripple to everything else shutting down.
1: Well, and Rudy Gobert's worst, probably worst moment at least publicly in his life was, was his press conference where he decided to rub himself all over his microphone during a press conference. So that, that was a bad look. Yeah, that exactly. So, but, but Hey, I, we're going to talk some hockey in a minute. So I think we should go to a break and come back and let's talk a little hockey. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Since the, the Flyers decided to, to gracefully come back and play. Let's go hit the break. When we come back, we'll talk a little Flyers hockey stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work.
0: Welcome back to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. Jeff, while we wait for Charlie O'Connor to join us from The Athletic, we'll get to him shortly. Uh, Were you surprised at the way the Flyers played last night, given they hadn't played in so long and were so shorthanded?
1: I was surprised they played as well as they did, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, I did, especially considering you don't have some of your major teammates there. It just... You know, look. We just talked about at the beginning of the show the rust with Michigan after three weeks off against Rutgers. When you when you get at, when you're playing well and get out of a groove, it's hard to get back into it. It's not that easy. You know, people go, "Oh, look at all the rest they got." That's not how this works. I mean, their rest also involved very limited abilities to practice as a team. I think Carter Hart took up juggling. I saw
0: he like was juggling four things or.
1: I mean, well, track, I, I, can't do well, it. yeah, and I, and I know you, we say that kind of like quippy, but but the fact is, is those kinds of things, especially for a goalie are important. Like I, I remember watching uh, with the Hershey Bears watching uh, Brayden Holpe and he sits there and he squirts his water bottle during mm-hmm. during each break and watches the water droplets. And it's all in order to, to train yourself to focus and be focused during the game. Well, let's get the man himself on to talk a little hockey
0: with us. Joining us from the Athletic Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, how you doing, man? Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I'm I'm glad we got some hockey back to be able to talk to you a little bit. Can can you tell us about this last crazy week that, that went from a potential positive test to people going on the list to games being stopped? What 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 happened here?
3: Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a weird uh, you know scary time around the Flyers. Obviously, you know, I'm certainly not in the locker room anymore. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a wild last couple of weeks. Um, you know, the whole thing kind of got kicked off on um, you know on Sunday of uh, of last week. So I guess that would have been almost two weeks ago when um, Travis Dan and I was a surprise scratch for the Sunday game and didn't play. And found out later that night he was on the COVID protocol list. Um, and then really. It all kind of blew up on Tuesday when they actually canceled the two, or postponed the Tuesday game against the Capitals because Claude Giroux and, and Justin Braun were on the uh, were on the list as well. They were placed on it, and it, what it appears happened is that you know, Sanheim was placed on the list not because he tested positive, because he was a close contact with someone. Um, he actually never tested positive, you know, for, for COVID nineteen. He ended up coming off the list seven days later. So that ended up just being out of an abundance of caution. But, you know, whatever his close contact was, you know, it clearly didn't infect him, but it appears that it infected Claude Giroux and Justin Braun and then went through other members of the team because you know, Elaine Vigneault confirmed a few days ago that the Claude Giroux did test positive. I know that, you know, at least as as recently as a couple of days ago, that Justin Braun was was still in quarantine in Washington, which is, is where all this, you know, took place. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like, you know, Claude Giroux was the, the first player to test positive. And then, you know, we've been able to confirm that other players have tested positive as well. Obviously, there's still you know, quite a few guys on the COVID protocol list, Giroux, Braun. Travis Konechny, Oscar Lindblom, uh, Scott Lawton, like there's, there's uh, Jacob Borchek's on there. So, you know, big name guys who who are on this list and, you know, at least a few of them, if not all are, are, are battling, you know, COVID-19. Um, luckily everything we've heard is that, you know, the players who, who have it are either asymptomatic or experiencing, you know, very mild symptoms. So it seems like everybody's going to be okay, but, you know, in the here and now the Flyers are back playing hockey games and they're back playing hockey games without some, some very, very important players of their team.
1: On top of that though, they're back playing hockey games with about to, they're about to make a cross country trek to Lake Tahoe. Is anybody within the organization or the players talking about how this was not a wise decision to begin with and now trying to figure out why they're still going out there when the idea originally, the way they set up the season was to have teams in their own kind of mini pods of of geographic regions
3: yeah it's it's a fair point um one thing i will say is number one is that the uh you know the game itself the outdoor game is probably the the safest game they're going to play all year considering the fact that it's outside it's you know, rather than being than being inside so you know, as we know the, the the transmission of this is is much less uh, you know much less prevalent when you're outside versus being inside. Um, I think it's a fair point, you know, to, to to wonder if, you know, traveling across the country is, you know, the best move. That said, you know, they're they, they go in a chartered flight. You know, they're they're basically going to be only around the, the, the team, you know, team personnel, things like that. And they're around those people, you know, at the at the rank at the practice facility anyway. So I, I do trust that, you know, they're they they do as much due diligence as they possibly can to make sure that there aren't any outside contacts you know when they're on road trips you know when they're at home when they're at the practice facility when they're on this this flight and whatnot like it's not like they're going on commercial air to, to fly to lake tahoe um but yeah i mean there's it, it maybe isn't the necessarily the best look to to have the flyers flying across country considering the fact that they created these divisions to, to limit travel but in the end you know, it's a it's a money game. And this is, you know, they, they obviously can't have fans in the stands for the most part this season. And this Lake Tahoe is a, a made for TV event. You know, there, there's one game being played on Saturday. The Flyers are playing on Sunday. You know, it's a very, uh, very picturesque locale. going to have some great shots for television. And, you know, the NHL clearly is trying to keep their television partners happy. And the Flyers are willing to participate. So that's where we're up.
0: at. You talk about great shots for television. They've never obviously had a rink on a golf course. It looks beautiful, though, from the pictures. It really I does. Seen, I mean, just picturesque with the mountains in the background and the rink. It's going to be spectacular in terms
3: of a production value, you would think, right? Oh, absolutely. I, You know, this is the kind of thing that you couldn't do. You could really only do it this year because the way these, these outdoor games have worked, they've kind of turned into... You know, obviously there's a television element. A lot of the games are nationally televised, but the the bulk of the money that is made from these games is, you know, based on the fact that they can just sell tickets. They can sell so many tickets. You know, you can you can put a game in a football football stadium and have way more tickets sold than you can sell in a hockey stadium just because the football stadium's bigger. Um, so they turned into you know that was the main source of revenue for these games. Well. Obviously they can't do that now because it's a, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So how do you make up for it? Well, you put games in a place where normally you wouldn't put them there because it's not like they're going to be able to build a stadium on a golf course that can seat 20,000 people or even more. But you can sort of do a back to the roots type of thing when you don't have to worry about seating, where you can sell this whole mystery Alaska concept of, you know, we're playing outside and we're playing in nature and then turn it into a production more than, than you know, trying to sell tickets and, and put people in the seats. So that was clearly the, the pivot they made. And I do think it's going to be a beautiful production. You know, you look at the pictures, as you said, they, they're gorgeous. You know, it really does seem... It seem like it's going to be a beautiful setting and it'll be a cool game. I'm sure the players that are, they're getting to play in it, you know, on, on all four teams are really looking forward to it.
0: It should definitely be fun to watch, you know, and I mean, they, let's talk about back on the ice. They did get back on the ice last night. Obviously they were as shorthanded as we talked about. They came out firing though. They struck early, uh, ended up going to overtime with a tie lost it in overtime. What'd you see out of the team coming off of the long layoff last night?
3: I, I like their effort. You know, I certainly uh, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, considering the fact that they hadn't played since the, uh, the previous Sunday. They'd only had a few short practices before the game. They came out, as you said, they came out firing. They came out with energy. Um, you know, they were on the four check. They were on their skates. I think as the game progressed, the, the, the lack of sharpness started to show itself a little bit more, especially in the second period. And you know, the way that their, their lineup is set up right now, they're missing so many quality forwards that they really only have the ability right now to roll two lines out of their four that are completely full of clear-cut NHLers. You know, their their first line is a legitimately good first line. You, know, you have James Van Riemsdyk like, who's having a great year, Sean Couturier who won the Selke last year, and then Joel Farabee who's having you know, what looks like a breakout season in sophomore year, that's a perfectly good line. Then you have Kevin Hayes, who, legitimate second-line center, and he's got Michael Roffle and Nicole Kubell alongside him. Both of them are good fourth-liners. They're ideally not on your second line, but, like, okay, that that's an that's an NHL-caliber line. And then your bottom two lines have guys like Andy Andreoff and David Kasha and Samuel Moran, who's trying to learn a new position. You know, these aren't lines that are going to – do a lot of damage offensively so the Flyers went in kind of knowing that if they were going to win this game they were going to have to you know depend on their top two lines to do all their scoring and probably weren't going to score a lot of goals and kind of what happened you know they ended up scoring two goals they lost the game in a shootout and they didn't get much of anything offensively from their third and fourth lines and I would expect the same thing to you know to happen on Sunday when they play the Bruins, you know, they're going to need guys like Aturier and, and Hayes and, and Van Riemsdyk to, to really carry the load offensively. Because they, they just, they can't depend on the replacement players to, to do much more than just, you know, have good shifts, bring energy, and, and and try to limit the damage when they're out there.
1: You talked about the offense. My concern, though, is not necessarily with the offense, it's with the defense. Uh, it, we, know, we know about the retirement with Niskanen. It doesn't seem like they replaced him, but I think that it's, at least it seems to me like the problem on defense is bigger than just that retirement. Do the flyers see a fix in house or do they think that there might be a move at some point during the season to kind of shore up that defense?
3: Yeah, I think there'll be a move at some point. I, my expectation is that around the trade deadline, you know, and obviously it'll depend on who's available, you know, the, the players who are going to be available the trade deadline don't necessarily reveal themselves until closer to the trade deadline because that's when you figure out which teams you know are out of playoff contention and which teams are looking to sell. But I would expect Chuck Fletcher, the Flyers general manager, to be to be fairly aggressive in looking for you know a rental defenseman who can play on the first or second pair if one is available. Um, I think he knows. I think that the team knows that you know right now the Flyers have three legitimate top four quality defensemen, defensemen that can play on your first or second pair. They have Ivan Proveroff, they have Travis Sandheim, they have Phil Myers, and they don't really have a fourth guy. You know, that fourth guy was Matt Niskanen. Matt Niskanen obviously retired. You know, they can they can plug in Shane Goss' bear and he's he's performed admirably, I'd say, but he's ideally not a guy who's playing on your first pair. You know, they tried Justin Braun there before he was placed on the COVID list, and, he didn't look that great there. Eric Gustafson's been been rough, although I do think the last few games he's been a bit better. But he had a really rough start to his uh his tenure in Philadelphia. You know, Robert Hayes, a third pair defenseman. Um, so I think they know they need another guy if they want to actually go into the playoffs and try to take a run at the Stanley Cup. Now, who that guy's going to be, I don't know. You know, it depends on who's available. It depends on on cost and things like that. But I would be let me put it this way: I would be surprised. If they get through the trade deadline without making some sort of, you know, and I'm not saying they're going to get a superstar, but I would be surprised if they don't make some sort of add on the back end to shore up the defense going into the playoffs.
1: Based on the sample size that we've seen so far, is this Flyers team capable of doing what they did towards the end of last season? Is this this a team, if you add one more piece, that can be the number one or number two seed going into the playoffs and make a real run?
3: You know, it's tough to say. Um, I think from a talent standpoint, yes, I think they could. Um, So far this season, maybe they haven't played like a team that looks one piece away. You know, they definitely struggled a bit in terms of their team defense, especially over the first couple of weeks of the year. It's gotten better recently. You know, now, obviously, they have, you know, a bunch of guys out due to, due to COVID protocol. They, they definitely missed Sean Couturier for, for the few weeks that he was out with his injury. So I don't think that team has shown up yet. But that doesn't mean it can't show up later. You know, they really haven't been at full strength all season. They had the short camp. They were still trying to shore up certain elements of their games or to, to be playing their best. And, you know, the first half of, of this season, especially a season that's weird as this, you're really just looking to win games and put yourself into a position to get in the playoffs. The you know, the, the the style points don't matter as much. What matters is that when you hit the final month and a half of the season going into the playoffs, you know, are you playing your best hockey? And the Flyers have time to get to that point. Now might they continue to struggle and maybe not be playing well enough for you to think that they're one piece away by the time, you know, April rolls around? Certainly possible. They, they definitely need to figure some things out and they need to click and they need to be adhering to, to Vino's system better than they have so far. But I think they have the talent to be that team. They just have to go out there and play like that team and justify, you know, Chuck Fletcher you know, pulling into the draft pick pile and trading away a few prospects to get them help. You know, they they have to play better. They have to play, you know, as more of a cohesive unit. And I do think they were making some strides in that area before this, you know, this COVID situation hit them. Unfortunately, you know, when they get those guys back, when they get guys like Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek and Travis Konechny back, you would hope that they continue to make strides and trend in the direction of becoming the kind of team that can make a real run. Because I think they have the ability, but the you know having the ability is only part of the equation you have to execute and you have to give that kind of effort on a nightly basis and so far i haven't seen it but i'm not going to say that that means that they can't deliver it more often as the season progresses
0: charlie always appreciate the time you give us look forward to following your work at the athletic and having you back on as the season goes forward take care of yourself ma'am.
1: yeah you too guys thanks for having me
0: jeff you gonna watch the outdoor game
1: yeah, I love those outdoor games. I, love- I, I don't know. I, I went to the game in Philadelphia. Did you, my brother? Unfortunately, the weather was like it looks outside now. My brother it was went. so cold at that game. I regret not going. I,
0: I wanted to go to that game. I didn't go. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be watching. I We've only got like four minutes left. I wanted to go back to basketball to talk a little all-star game with you, Jeff. Can we? Can we do that?
1: Lemon pepper wings? Come on, let's go.
0: So, nobody seems to want the NBA in Atlanta for the All Star game, in- game, including the mayor. The mayor does not want them there. Under normal circumstances, we'd be extremely grateful, but she's shared her concerns at a made for TV event. So, remind me, this is all about the fans,
1: right? Supposedly. Can't
0: who can't be there? Uh, so, well, it's, the gonna, fa- it's the
1: fans in their living rooms. So, isn't that what it
0: is? The NBA is going to have the three point contest before the game then uh-huh. slam dunk contest at halftime of the game who's going to participate in the that rest of the game finishing with the rules where it's like first to a certain amount of points as opposed to a timed last quarter so okay, yeah, so yeah what, that was your, you my, had a great question of who's going to play the first half then do the slam dunk contest, then play the second half?
1: <laughs> Nobody. There will be no all-stars that actually participate in the all- in, in the slam dunk competition. It's going to have – there's no f- physical way that you can do that. If you've ever watched that slam dunk competition, it is it is very taxing on them to go through that because it's not just like one dunk and you're done. You get multiple times. You miss a bunch of times. You're doing all sorts of stuff. The whole point of halftime for anybody who has never played a sport – is to get your body some rest so you can go out there and play a second half. And for people who don't play sports, it's to go to the bathroom and get a snack. Uh, who, are you point- <laughs> who are you pointing at? <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, I wouldn't know what to do at halftime of a game. How many people do you know that tried out for a professional basketball team? You no, did. I so did. You, you, you're With an athlete. Every, I'd like
0: to point out that team is 5-0 and and the only undefeated team in the bubble as they go for 6-0 and tonight.
1: Go Bluecoats. That's right. A- after, after we had the coach on. That's right. So, so, much, so much like Sarah's taking credits for the Warriors, the Sixers, and the, now the jazz, we're going to take credit for uh, the blue coats. Yeah. Well, you can take credit for everything. Is this all? Actually, actually, I, th- actually I think, I think the person that needs to take credit besides uh, Connor Johnson is probably Paul Reed. Cause I don't know how much longer Paul Reed's going to be with the blue coats. He may be what this, the Sixers need off of their bench. He's played great
0: basketball i i i I know it didn't surprise you but you you had to laugh when i told you that i've watched all of the blue coast games streaming on their facebook it didn't
1: it didn't surprise me for a second this this is the guy who stays up and watches summer league games at one o'clock in the morning so there there was no way that you weren't going to watch all of those i'm feeling rather judged right now no, I look. <laughs> hey man, it helps. It helps with the show.
0: It us <laughs> content. Yeah. All
1: right. So it's somebody needs to sleep and somebody needs to watch the games while the other person's sleeping and the old guy gets to sleep. So is the all-star All right. game going to be a success or. Of course what? it is. Cause people will still watch it. It doesn't mean just because it's successful on TV doesn't mean that it's right. Okay. How's that? It, it, this that's doesn't, profound. It, if you could have
0: done that about 20 seconds later i could have just gone to the end of the show and we'd have been good
1: if i could have, could have if, if,
0: if i timed it out right
1: if i had done it five years ago imagine the ratings we would have had
0: <laughs> it will create a mini bubble and require them all to get tested every day i'm sure the players are going to be thrilled well, the
1: about bubble that. take place at at lou williams lemon lemon pepper wings place
0: okay that's definitely going to be the last word thank you everybody for joining us <laughs> this week on the heart of sports Make sure to join us next Friday night as we help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.